Welcome to the Millennial Girl Way, the show that highlights millennial women doing the damn thing by turning their dreams into reality. I'm your co-host, Shay Harkness. And I'm your co-host, Bray Creech. And today we have a special reflection episode in store for you ladies. For our new listeners, our reflection episodes are our time to reflect on life and talk about topics that resonate with us. They allow us to come together as women and have real and honest conversations about our journeys through womanhood. With all that's been going on in society and the community at large, you know, we have to acknowledge the fact that it's been an emotionally taxing last couple of weeks. I know that I've personally had to disengage from social media the news, the world, <laughs> like a couple of times throughout the last few weeks just to get a hold of my, my own mind and my own emotions. I've felt anger, sadness, anxiety, disillusionment, shock, and hopelessness throughout all of the last few weeks. You know, I think every day something new is happening and um, is bringing forth different emotions every single day. So, you know, in saying that, today we thought it'd be a, a good idea to shed light on mental wellness. Um, you know, dealing with burdens is always difficult, and getting your mind right can be super hard to bear at times, but it's absolutely necessary in order for you to push through and, and really, you know, make change, impact change, change your life. Um, and so in saying that, we have a special guest with us today. Her name is Charetta Harris. You can call her Charlie. <laughs> um, she's a mental health professional and also a best friend and sister of mine. Today, she'll share her own personal story surrounding police brutality, as well as resources to help with mental well-being in these trying times. So I just want to say, first off, Charlie, thank you for coming on with us today. Um, I'm really excited to have you on. I knew that this is a topic that you can definitely hit on, like definitely help all of us with, um, because I think a lot of people need resources. I see a lot of people are yeah. dealing with, you know, um, mental issues and, you know, feeling overwhelmed. So just to start off, you know, kind of what are your thoughts about all that's been going on in the last couple of weeks with the protests, the demonstrations? Me, <laughs> I honestly, I would say that it's, it's something that was foreseeable because for so long, we've been suppressing our emotions, suppressing our thoughts. We would see these things happening on the media and just, although we wouldn't be bothered by it, it's almost as if we would turn a blind eye because we thought, what else is there that we can do? We can't do anything. But now, because it's being over sensationalized, if you ask me, because at one point, I don't know if you all noticed, these stories were not as, like, they were happening, but they were not daily being portrayed in the media. Where now, because of what happened with George Floyd, we have so many other cases that transpired years ago, weeks ago, months ago, that are now reappearing in the news because now everyone has their attention centralized on police brutality and systemic right. racism, which are things that we've been dealing with for decades. Like it's nothing new. However, people are now becoming more aware. So as a result of that, that those pent up emotions that everyone has been suppressing is now coming out. So it's been 
portrayed in the form of riots, in the form of looting. I know Mm -hmm. I'm in Atlanta, and for the past few weeks, there has been unrest. And the riots Mm -hmm. had stopped, like, last weekend. But last night, they started back because we literally had just another officer-involved shooting where another Black man was killed Friday night. Right. So, Mm -hmm. with that being said... I think that people are tired, you know, but I also would just encourage everyone to be mindful of what we are choosing to internalize. And for those things that we can control, control them. And what is included in that is our mental health. You know, I think we, we forget that watching these videos of these people being killed, watching police brutalizing people, throwing tear gas, you know, Mm -hmm. throwing, the rubber bullets and so forth so on that is a form of trauma you know and mm-hmm. when we make a choice to watch these videos i know it's because we want to be aware of what's going on but we have to also realize that we're further traumatizing ourselves, ourselves. Yeah. And yeah trauma is a form of mental health so that's a mental health issue that i know a lot of us are dealing with because we're saying these things so some may say well you know i haven't experienced it firsthand but there's a thing called secondary trauma or the term for that is vicarious trauma that means where you're indirectly experiencing it from hearing about it and or watching it yeah we have to just be mindful of and i think you know both bray and i right we it took us a while to actually watch the um george floyd video because you know everything was just seeing everything on social media and you know the news or whatever it was just all too much you know and watching the video the full video took a while for me because I was like I know that this is gonna bring up some energy that I want to make sure my mind can handle my mind and my emotions can handle before I can watch it Bray I know you said the same thing right yeah definitely I you know someone the other day online was attributing our rage to a form of PTSD, you know, having seen this trauma growing up, honestly being told that that could be you, I think is scary in itself, you know? So, um, you know, I think that it's scary in itself to just know that it's for us, it's not just about seeing someone and being able to emotionally disconnect from it. We see ourselves when we see these videos a lot of the time. Um, And it's very traumatizing. Mm -hmm. But like you said, Charlie, I think we want to be in the know, you know, we want to be aware and um, we want to feel connected to the community and understanding what's going on. But it's hard, you know, it's hard being Mm -hmm. bringing awareness to yourself, but also trying to protect like your mental peace. Yes. Like what I've done, for example, honestly, ladies, I have not watched the George Floyd murder. Um, mm-hmm. For me, like I read a lot and I just know that being someone who has personally experienced losing a person to police brutality, mm-hmm. it's not something that I know that I can watch. So when I say just being mindful of how we consume it. So for example, if we know that right now that's what's going on in the nation and it's become international at this point, you know, where everyone knows about it, they're protesting as well, set limits on how we choose to consume the information. I know a person who literally said they sit at home and they watch the news all day, every day, because some of us are still quarantining. That's not healthy. So yes, it's good to know what's going on, but be mindful of how long 
we allow ourselves just to consume that energy because as we're watching it, we're internalizing it. Because again, we are black and this is something that we see is like, that could be me, that could be my brother, you know, that could be mm -hmm. my mother or whomever else that we're close to. So watching it for 12 hours on end, we have to be mindful, like, is that helping me or is it hurting me? So I say set limits. So what I've been doing, and I'll be honest, like last week, it was hard for me because yeah. so many stories were surfacing and I was reading about what may have transpired, not watching the videos, but even with reading, I found myself physically feeling sick. Of course, mm -hmm. it comes from the anxiety, you know, I started experiencing nauseousness, having migraines, and I have to remind myself, you of all people know what it means to pull back. So right. I had to literally like take my phone away from myself, sit it down and find something else to do so that I don't find myself unconsciously, you know, looking at articles about what's going on in the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and it's hard to do as well, right? Because I think every single day, regardless, I mean, you're gonna see something in the news, you know, like you just, exactly. you can't escape from it. And so, um, you know, like being bombarded with that information day after day, it really does mm -hmm. wear on your mental psyche. And I think that on top of all that's been going on in the Black community, there's also things at large in society, you know, economic instability you know COVID going on so all yeah. of these things going on at one time and I just really feel like people are um are really feeling overwhelmed and it's just too much I know um and even at work you know let's say that mm -hmm. I try not to look at a certain thing um or look at the media for one day at work all, now all of my white colleagues want to have conversations with me. Now it's, oh, Shay, mm. you know, how are you feeling about this? And I appreciate the effort in some respects, but um, sometimes too, it's like, I can't bring my full self or how I really feel <laughs> to work because right. I feel like, oh, it's going to be like, oh, you scare the white people. type. Um, so then we have these like candid and, you know, a surface level conversations. Mm. Um, but I feel like we're not getting to the meat and potatoes of like what, uh, you know, as Black people, we're actually feeling. And then on top of the fact mm -hmm. that, like you just said, you know, I'm a native of Atlanta too. And so I saw, uh, you know, what happened with Rashad, but Rashad Brooks and, you know, he was killed outside of Wendy's and now Wendy's is on fire. And now there are all these, you know, protests and, you know, looting and all that stuff going on in Atlanta. And I'm like, oh gosh, now I got to think about what's going on at home and like, you know, who's involved and all of this stuff. So it's just a lot of um, emotions, and, uh, just anxiety being built up over and over again. And so on top of the fact that outside, mostly I'm just really frustrated because it's like, why are these things still happening as we're doing protests and demonstrations and petitions and things like that we're literally fighting to get our voices heard in respect to police brutality and just like you said last night two days ago, somebody else was killed so it's like do people take us seriously too you know and that brings anger you know mm -hmm. yeah I, I yeah yeah the part you mentioned about just even having to communicate at work that, you know, maybe you need to fall back. I think trying to, for me, these last few weeks, I've been trying to come up with the pop, the proper vernacular to say, like, please keep it to yourself. Like, mm -hmm. I understand that people want to understand and they want to learn, but, 
you know, Amanda Seal, she said something the other day and it really made me think like, if you are just now wondering and curious about how you can help your black counterparts, that is something that you need to take away and think about because this is not new. You know, like you said, you know, we're having protests in the moment and yet another black man was killed. This is on not just a nationwide platform, but a worldwide platform. We've seen protests in various countries. We've seen people crying and we've seen the black community mourning and yet it still happens. So, you know, when I look on the outside of being at work and interacting with people, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to sit and have this long dialogue with them simply because it's not new. And, you know, this is something that we deal with day in, day out. And it's really at this point trying to get other people to understand that not only are we, um, not only are we feeling weighed down by having to be in this fight, but this is also a reality of ours. Like we also as Black people, I think we understand that this anger and these protests, like, yes, we're doing this now, but there are still Black people being killed off camera, mm-hmm. you know? So we're trying to protect our, exactly. our our mental stability. And it's hard to fight a war when you know that your brother and sisters are still being killed while you're fighting. And right. even with the, the uplifting, um, you know, media on like, you know, police officers walking with us or people kneeling for us, it still makes me wonder, like, does that almost play a mind game on us or does that have a a more detrimental effect on us? Because it's almost like we're being like, oh, yeah, you know, this is good. Like white people and brands and, you know, they're they're into it. They're getting into it. And then, you know, Atlanta happens. Right. Like, you know, that that constant two steps forward, one step back. Like, I'm curious what that will do to us, you know, in the long run mentally Mm -hmm. I I think it takes action and until we actually can see the action this unrest is going to continue and that's just our harsh reality right now and I feel like it's going to get worse before it gets better because like you said we have these politicians the celebrities they're getting on their platforms the business owners they're getting on their platform and they're saying black people will rip you but in what way? You know, what action right. are you applying right. that actually shows that we are here for you? Because as you said, this is something that has been going on. This is not new. It's been mm-hmm. brought to the spotlight because, again, of social media, video recordings. But you knew this was going on. Why does it have to take for a video right. to be released for you exactly. to be angered? What's the story itself not enough? You know, like... And I truly, I feel like we have to exploit ourselves, you know, just the idea of having people being killed, circulating on social media. I think about their families. I think about their children. How do they feel or how will they feel years from now when they go on social media and they unexpectedly see their father being killed or their mom being killed? Like, that's not Mm -hmm. something that anyone should have to be exposed to. But again, that's the only way in this time we can get justice for our people and sadly we have video evidence a lot of times and they see it it gets the publicity going you know everyone's learning about it but yet once it's time for a conviction these criminals who are the police are being acquitted however if we were just to do these same actions as civilians we will be under the jail 
or dead exactly so, or dead exactly <laughs> right so I really feel as if we really need action and I have to say that I respect what uh, Minneapolis is doing in Minnesota you know in the city where George Floyd was killed they they're actually doing police reform where yes. all of those mm-hmm. officers they're they're putting them out you know and they're literally reviewing their policies and they're going over their procedures and being more mindful of who they bring back on board with them the idea of defunding the police i know some may say well we need them to be in the community to control criminals i get that but not everything that goes on is a crime everything should not be treated as a criminal offense and a lot of times we have people who are dealing with mental health issues for example george floyd Mm-hmm. They want to outline like, oh, well, he was on drugs and so forth and so on. Addiction is a form of mental health. People mm-hmm. overlook that. That's not something that should be criminalized. That's something that should be hospitalized and helped and giving him the proper therapy. But instead, people want to take it to their own hands and kill people for things that are human. Like, these are humanistic traits. And let's take you know, we all have further our downfalls. Right, we do. Mm-hmm. And let's take that one step further. For things that if the person was white would never have happened. That, 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 is, that is 100% fact. If George Floyd was oh, yes. white and on drugs or whatever, an, an addict, he would still be alive today. He would still be oh, alive Because yes, they would get him help. Exactly. They would get him help. Being black is not a crime. Being black is not a felony. Being black does not make you an adversary. Right. I agree. I agree. But it it's falls- almost like we're we're suitable targets. Right. Exactly. We they see us as a threat, which is very, mm-hmm. very unfortunate. So anything that we do, even in the wake mm-hmm. of it being a mental illness, they still find a way to consider a black person in our black skin as a weapon. Yeah. And it's 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 very glaring and you know mm-hmm. It just it brings We're, about the deeper conversation about like just the access that we have to being able to take care of our mental illness and how in the black community like it's not talked about enough and I think we're kind of trying to get to that space where black people are now more aware yes. that there is mm-hmm. a clear um, imbalance between the access that we have to take care of ourselves but I think that you know it first starts with us owning the fact that we've we've experienced trauma you know we're mm-hmm. from a young age we're taught how to deal with things that a young kid should not have to have a conversation with their parents about the fact that your skin is a threat to someone who at, at a, in a kid's mind we're all kids mm-hmm you know, so I think that's something that, you know, I enjoy when I find like Instagram pages that are about black centered therapy and um, Charlie, you know, what, what you're doing and hopefully you can provide us with um, some more tips and just advice because I think that first we have to recognize that we all do need some form of healing mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and that comes in many different forms, shapes and sizes. I always say that a black child, you know, grows up much faster in the world. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I even see things on, you know, just in the news or whatever. And it's like a, a kid, a black kid will do something, you know, 10, 11 years old. It's like, oh, you know, lock them up and da, da, da. And it's just mm-hmm. like, are you kidding me? Like your kids probably do the same things. But yet we are criminalized and, you know, we're adults in the eyes of, you know, white America, no matter what age we are. 
Um, mm -hmm. and, and on top of that, even talking about like traumas that we have to deal with in our own community very young as well and um, having to cope with that in a way where you you're kind of put in the you're kind of put in the the, the role of an adult um yeah. by you know i think a lot of the black community thinks that dealing with mental uh wellness and and trauma is just being silent just dealing with it you know what i'm saying or even mm -hmm. sometimes ignoring the issue and you know whatever no one wants to talk about the heavy things and where has that led us thus far you know so i think a part of really, really um, getting ahead as far as mental well-being is concerned and, and just mental health would be having the freaking conversation. Like, let's start exactly. talking about these things. Let's start holding ourselves and others around us accountable, you know? Um, but we'll get into that, you know, because I know you probably have a lot to say about that, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question but you're for you. actually right oh sorry I was gonna ask you ladies do you think that um this this act of you know in the black community us kind of suppressing or not speaking about things do you think that kind of has to do with like society making it seem like we are so we all grow up right with the same notion of like you know your the color of your skin may make people hate you like this is how you're perceived in the world they think you're thugs and criminals and so you know, we almost feel like why talk about it? Because we think that it's the norm. And so they've conditioned us to think that that's normal. Whereas in maybe like white culture, someone who has a mental illness, they're like, well, we should all be good. So when it's not normal, I think people tend to like put more focus on it and want to heal people, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And something else that I learned just from being a therapist is that mm -hmm. with, within our culture, I've heard two common things, and this is from my personal experience. One, religion. And it's sad to say this, mm. but a lot of people feel, well, you know, Girl. I don't have to talk <laughs> about it to anyone or acknowledge it because I have God. And God, yes. God you know, only gives the strongest battles, you know, the, South. The, the strongest truth. Yeah, and it's just like, mm -hmm. okay. <laughs> and then there's the second, and then there's the second notion that I've heard of just the embarrassment of it. People do not want to acknowledge that they have mental health issues because they feel as if that's acknowledging that they're crazy. And mm -hmm. both of them, in my opinion, and I had to explain in my group with that, that's miseducation, you know? But yeah. once you become educated on what mental health is, I'll just throw it out there. Every human being has mental health issues. As yes. long as you have a brain. <laughs> as Say that again. <laughs> As long as you are living, you have mental health issues. It mm. is normal. We all go through it. Even babies may have mental health issues. Yeah. And people often overlook that. And I think that within our culture, we pride ourselves on being strong. And, you know, because yes. for so long, we've been taught that we're inferior. So we have to show, no, I'm superior. I'm strong. I have strength. I'm not mm -hmm. weak. And Sadly, people think that having a mental health issue is a weakness, when in reality it's not. To me, not. to acknowledge that you are dealing with normal issues that we are all supposed to deal with, that's bravery in this day and time, because so many right. people frown upon it. So to be able to say, hey, I'm dealing with this, that's bold, that's owning your truth. And the moment we start to own our truth, our mental health will reap the benefits 
of it because yeah. at that point we're no longer ashamed exactly mm-hmm. you and i oh my gosh i'm so glad that you actually said that because um you know for myself i know that i have certain like nervous tics um when i'm dealing with like anxiety or i'm stressed like you know like there are certain things that i do like i'm very fidgety or you know like i uh, mm-hmm. you know like uh, mess with like my eyelashes a lot when I'm like dealing with stress and that is a form of like technically like a mental issue that's your way of coping with yeah. whatever you go through that doesn't mean that you're crazy but everyone has their certain things that um you know they they do to help them cope with whatever emotion they're yeah, feeling at that exactly. moment yeah I did a research on it where a lot of people do not even acknowledge that those symptoms that you have that you think are just normal to all the time those are forms of your mental health mm-hmm. manifesting. Like your body, your mind and body are connected. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we do not realize that what I'm going through mentally can have an outward reflection on how I behave as well as like my bodily movement, you know? And we need to understand that. We do. Um, and I, I think that, again, putting a spotlight on these type of things will just open up the the conversation and will like you said get everyone to understand that it's totally normal um and we all to be honest we wouldn't be human if we didn't need ways to cope right so that's normal in itself because Mm -hmm. self-preservation is the first law of humanity you know what i'm saying so if if you need you know you have different ways to help yourself cope that's that's completely normal and um even getting to the point of us just needing to show that we're so strong that nothing can um get us down that we won't that we're not inferior that we do have what it takes that we are you know worthy of just simple human to human respect i think is something that again we rely on and that we really stress to ourselves is so important and that is because of you know the I guess the place we've been put in in the society so I mean it's all cyclical it all makes sense um but I think that for us to really move ahead and get ahead it's first um peeling back those layers you know mm-hmm. that, that that we have to start with First, you know, personally, family-wise, and then community-wise, because, you know, let's not act like we don't have, you know, issues that go on in our own, you know, community and families as well that that contribute mm. further to that trauma, you know? Yeah, I, I think that starts with self-acknowledgement, you know, first being, you know, even you recognizing your triggers and and being able to look yourself in the mirror and say, this is a part of my anxiety and I recognize this and I will figure out a way to handle that because, you know, just as we started this conversation with saying that we see ourselves in these black people who are losing our lives, you know, the same is true for people who we see successes of, right? We look towards black people. I think that same movement can happen in the mental health um, arena where if more of us are, you know, aware of ourselves and um, our mental health and being open to having the conversation, I think it won't be this, um, it won't be this thing where people are afraid to talk about it or people, you know, are perceived as weak. You will see the strength in yourself and people will see that in you. And I think it, like you said, Shay, it's kind of a, a, 
mm-hmm. a circle, but it'll move towards a more positive, you know, bringing it to light and hopefully being able to heal our people. Yeah, it won't be a stigma mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. So, so Charlie, if you feel comfortable, you know, sharing your story about your brother and police brutality, um, would you mind sharing with our listeners, you know? So in short, um, my brother went into the military at the age of 18. Um, he was in the Navy. He fought in the war on Iraq, um, was overseas when they killed Saddam Hussein. So as you can imagine, just going yeah. through all of that at a young age, his mental health took a toll on him. Um, and I mean, for us, he developed an alcohol addiction while he was in service. And that's actually what led to him being discharged from the military, underage drinking, having to go through rehab, and coming out of rehab, having been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And they were about to deploy, and they were doing a room swap, and they found his medication Mm. in the room. But you're not authorized to have those type of medications, you know, um, on the boat. So he was discharged as a result of that. And from there, he came back home at the age of 21. And I noticed a shift in his demeanor. And it was, he was different. Like he was not the person that he was when he went in. Right. And my mom and I started taking heed, like this is not him. My brother was always very bright, very personable talking all the time, just very pleasant. But once he came back home, it was like he had a lot of anger and it showed, you know? Mm-hmm. So long story short, we started going through different psychiatrists, trying to figure out what was going on with him. He was diagnosed with a plethora. I think, I mean, literally PTSD, um, manic depression, bipolar disorder one, bipolar disorder two, schizophrenia, mm-hmm. paranoid schizophrenia, um, chronic depression. Like they just had... So any freaking diagnosis you can think of, he had it, literally. Anxiety, like it was just so much they diagnosed him with. And then ultimately he was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder once the new DSM-5 came out. And that's essentially like the manual that they use to define mental health disorders. So when the most recent one came out, it combines all of that. And that's essentially what schizoaffective is. So you have your depression that's inclusive, your anxiety, and then you also have psychosis, you know, which can lead to paranoia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, information, he started receiving treatment from the VA, community health leaders. Um, he was appointed with the mental health court, so forth, so on. Well, fast forward to August 2nd, 2017. My brother had not slept in four days. He had stopped taking his prescription medication due to paranoia. Um, and apparently like earlier that afternoon, he tried to run someone over in a car that was not his car. So that was kind of like weird for him. Um, his leasing agent called the police for a welfare check. So just to educate everyone, when you have a mental or an emotional disturbance, meaning that you appear to someone to be a threat to yourself or a threat to them by law police are supposed to do what's called a 1013. And that's essentially where they come to your aid and they take you to a psych facility for evaluation. Mm-hmm. If you are deemed to be in the actual state of unrest, then they will admit you involuntarily into the hospital for a minimum of 72 hours. Well, after receiving a phone call, the police came, 
talked to my brother and she left him. Um, to me, that was like thought number one, because if someone is saying, hey, this is, his behavior is erratic. This is not like him. He's usually very pleasant. However, right. he has to run me over with a car. That's a side of him that I've never seen before. I'm concerned about him. He has mental health issues. I know this for a fact. Can you please help him? Yeah. She, she actually mm-hmm. wrote on the police report that he appeared to be loud and irate, but could not make a clear statement. And it was apparent, quote unquote, that he had mental health issues. Well, um, fast forward. We were not aware that he tried to run someone over. We were not aware that the police had even been called. So mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. happened apparently around one o'clock in the afternoon, around 6.30, my mom showed up just to see him because she would go see him every day. Um, something that's interesting to know, my brother did not drive. <laughs> so she would stop by on her way and just to go see him, you know, yeah. just check on him and so forth. Well, mm-hmm. in that conversation, he kept saying they want me dead. And that's, the paranoia you know kicking yeah, in um right. and my mom was like who wants she dead baby no one wants she dead you know and she tried to urge him like come home with me they was so independent he had his own peace but not want to feel as if he was a burden on anyone else so he didn't want to come to my mom's home and you know be put in that position where he felt that he was inconveniencing her so in short he stayed home well i thought to him that night around like an hour later around 7 30 he called us he was crying we were all on three-way my mom my brother and i we were talking and he was like, you know, I, I just don't know. Like, I'm tired. I had this stuff in four days. And at this point, he was just crying. And, you know, we basically convinced him that you need to get back on your medication, you know. So, obviously, the prescription meds aren't working for you. And what was supposed to be happening, they have what's called the ACT team out here. And that's where you have community counselors. Because of his condition, his counselor was supposed to visit daily. However, his counselor had not visited him since Memorial Day. So mind you, <laughs> Memorial is at the crazy. end of May, yeah. and here it is August 2nd, and he has not Whoa. seen his clinician. So just be mindful of that. So, you know, we're like, well, tomorrow we will come get you bright and early in the morning. We're taking you to the VA. You're going to get the injection. That's so called the Inveca. They give that to those who have schizophrenia because you get it. Um, once a month for three months and then after the third month you start getting injections every three months so it's supposed to be like something that's easier for those who are in a severe state of mind because they don't have to worry about taking their meds you know Mm -hmm. well that never happened um later on that night apparently my brother was triggered by one of his neighbors got into an argument um and my brother went in the house came back outside and the neighbor was in front of him. My brother aimed his weapon and he turned from the neighbor and he just fired a shot. And the neighbor actually said, you know, if he wanted to shoot me, he could have, but he did not. Like he just fired in the air. And I knew that that was not like him because he never did anything like that, you know, towards me. So they called the police and several several neighbors actually called the police. Because at this point, people are looking out the windows and whatever else. It's around, it's close to 11 o'clock at night. They start calling the police um, saying that there's a demented man with a weapon, demented man with a weapon. Mind you, they saw him earlier that day, right? So um, a female officer arrived on the scene first. And this is where the story kind of just, we get mixed stories still to this date. 
um, apparently when she arrived, my brother was like walking in her direction. And once he saw her car, he ran towards his car. He had a car, a 1985 um, Chevrolet Caprice that he got when he was in the military. My brother loved classics. So that was like his collectible car, I guess you could say. And that car would not leave him, okay? So it literally just sat parked outside his apartment, but he did not drive it. <laughs> um, so he retreated to his car, according to the police report. At this time, more officers arrived, three more officers arrived, and they surrounded his car. So his car was reversed into the parking lot. So imagine a U being formed, you know, right. from the front and the sides of the vehicle. Um, they asked him to get out of his car. He got out the car. He had his fucking, you know, he had a gun on him. I will say that. He had his gun on him. He got back in the car. Next thing you know, you hear a pop. And, blah, 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 blah. and it's like literally several bullets being fired. 52, to be exact. 52 um, bullets were fired at my brother while he was sitting in his car. And the door apparently was not all the way closed. So I think once he got out the car after the 50-second shot, they were surprised that he wasn't dead. Just imagine shots being fired literally from every angle of the vehicle, you know? Yeah. Um, and he got out the car. Once he got out of his car, he was shot four more times. And he dropped to the ground, apparently in fetal position, because he got hit in his legs, I mean, arms, you know, whatever. And he dropped to the ground. And this is where it gets tragic, because he was still alive. Um, his guns were not on him. They apparently, according to the video, like you could see the gun like literally on the ground. He was not holding the gun at all. He tried to adjust his topper part, the upper part of his body. The officer who arrived to the scene first, the female officer, she walked from the passenger side of the car, walked around to the front and then to the driver's side. My brother, I told you he's on the ground trying to adjust part of his body. She gets to him at point blank range and she shot him in the chest. The shot that hit my brother in the chest pierced his lung. Um, after he had been shot, they dragged him away from his car and they handcuffed him. While he was laying on the ground handcuffed, they were tending to the other officer who, because during this chaos, they were trying to say that my brother shot someone. Later we learned no officer had been shot Apparently, from all of the bullets being fired towards my brother, one of the officer's tasers ended up getting hit, and the taser collapsed on his hand. Um, so, yeah, they were tending to that officer's hand just to ensure that he was okay. Meanwhile, my brother is bleeding out, dying. Um, and that's essentially what happened. They told us that he passed away. The shooting happened, according to police report, around 1131 when the officers first came out. They told us that he was pronounced dead at 1250 a.m. So, we have at this time is what time, right? So, let's fast forward. 642 a.m., I get a text from my mom. There's a news article where she's showing that it says suspect is in critical condition after officer-involved shootout. When I opened the email, it was uh, 703. I clicked on it, it says suspect is dead. Um, mind you, now it's seven o'clock. His name is still not published. They still have not told us, contacted the family to let us know that he's deceased. So we're just going off of intuition because they had his apartment complex on yeah. the news. And my mom was like, I feel like that's my baby. 
and I call her and I'm like, mom, you know, where are you going? And she's like, oh, I'm on the way to his apartment complex. I don't know what's going on. Then someone called her and she was like, you know what? No, I'm going to head to the trauma ward because he was shot in Georgia or in Atlanta. You're going to be sent to either Atlanta Medical or Grady. Grady is the top trauma center in, you know, Georgia. So she was like, we're going to go to Grady first. So I'm like, mom, um, I'm driving, you know, like, just pull over. She's like, why? I asked my baby. I'm like, mom, he's dead. And as his sister, that was like the hardest thing I could ever say because my brother and I was close. In fact, he's why I'm not a mental health professional. I actually started studying forensic psychology back in 2016 um, because of him. You know, he was still alive, but I wanted just to understand the disparities of those with mental illness who were Black in right. the system. Um, so that's essentially what it is, the psychology in the criminal justice system. And I started studying it for that reason. So as you can imagine, that took a toll on our entire family. Um, my mom, my stepdad, they went to the police headquarters trying to figure out where's my baby, what happened, no answers. They're told to go to the medical examiners. They go to the medical examiners, medical examiners like, uh, you know, you can't make an identification because the FBI has already identified him. We go to his apartment complex. It's nine in the morning at this point. No evidence of blood, not oh one trace of blood could be found. But you could see from the pavement, you know, that bullets had been fired because some of the stuff had been damaged, like part of the apartment had been damaged. So you could see that, you know, on the apartment walls, but still it's nine o'clock. Be mindful. The GBI, the department, um, the Cap County Police Department, they still have not contacted us to let us know he's dead right it wasn't until 1 23 p.m that they called my mom giving her that formal notification that her son had been killed um and for literally for over a year we were trying to find answers what happened no one would give us an answer but interestingly to this day they the, the ceo of dekalb county started a mental health round table on behalf of my brother. Literally yeah. did not consult with us about that, but literally put his name on that round table. And we were like, okay, now something's not making sense. You know, if he was a suspect, if you really felt that he was shooting at the officers, when have you all mm-hmm. ever started something on behalf of a criminal? Right. Right. And that's kind of where we sit right now. Um, in March, March 2019, we sat in front of the DA and ladies, we were told that due to adrenaline, they would not be pressing charges against the officers involved in the shooting. And this is the depravity and just the injustice that goes on and happens all over all the time and this mm-hmm. you know I knew Sean this this hit close to home so seeing it firsthand and seeing you and your mom um you know fight against the wrongful death of your brother you know was definitely hard to see and I can only imagine how you and her feel um and then to do all of this and still get that type of answer due to adrenaline what so the argument and it's so sad to say, because I actually saw a post on social media yesterday that literally just said what we've been saying for the last three years. They were saying that because he had a weapon, it was the adrenaline. Now, something that I missed out on 
when my brother was killed, my brother did not have on a shirt. So the DA was like, well, they could have speculated that he still had a weapon on him or something like that. You could see him. I mean, he didn't have on a shirt at all. Right. You know? But I know that he was profiled for the simple fact that the, po- the initial police report that we received detailing what happened that night at the killing was that the officer saw a tall, dark-skinned male with dreadlocks and tattoos all over his face. That was within the first sentence of the police report. Mm-hmm. Now, ladies, I said that he came, they arrived at the scene at 11.31 p.m. How could you see that? Exactly. Unless you've already built your profile of him based on that earlier occurrence, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I feel that, honestly, they arrived with the intent to kill. Because, okay, and I'll say this, and I don't have any problem with saying it. If you have to shoot him because he had a weapon and you feel threatened, fine. But once he dropped to the ground, he was no longer a threat to you. Right. You know, and still alive. He was not a threat. It's the overkill. Like, first of all, my my heart hurts, Charlie, just to hear that story. And I'm so sorry that that you even had to go through that. But for me, it's the overkill. What we're fighting for now is like, yes, a weapon is dangerous. Yes, as a as an officer, Mm -hmm. you in that moment are fearing for your life. Let me tell you this. My father is a police officer. So I, or he's retired now, but he's recounted those situations. Mm -hmm. He's talked to me through the training they go through, how you have to have mental Mm -hmm. checkups, how you have to write pages and pages and pages and pages of reports just to back up your reasoning for firing your weapon, whether it was an accident, whether it's one shot, whether it's a hundred shots. When that man, you saw him have a weapon, you police officers more than anybody understand the power of a weapon so you cannot stand here and tell Mm -hmm. me that when you fire the first shot the second shot when that man hit the ground our issue with the the police community is that why are we being um murdered Murdered, you're not defending yourself you're murdering us you are killing us you made that decision to put us in a you've you've Mm -hmm. already got us down to the ground your brother was no longer Mm -hmm. a threat and, and that woman just walking mm-hmm. to the other side and that point blank mentality, we're fighting to let people understand like that happens to us every single day. It's overkill. Mm-hmm. It's mass murdering. People want to think that we're trying to martyr ourselves or that, you know, we don't listen or whatever. Right. There's videos and there's evidence of white people walking in the streets, waving guns and somehow, police mm-hmm. officers are like, please calm down. Please calm. I don't exactly. see a taser. I don't see a weapon discharge. I don't see any of that. So okay. it's just very disheartening and very. They actually use. Yeah. Yeah, they Go use ahead. the escalation tactics, and they're trained mm-hmm. to do that. My mom and I they were are. invited to spirit on the training. I didn't go, but she mm-hmm. something that she brought to my attention that here in Georgia, the training for mental health crisis intervention is only forty hours. Out of a full year, you get 40 hours of training. Mm-hmm. Now, I think we should reflect on the statistics. At minimum, one out of every five adults have a mental health mm-hmm. diagnosis. And that's for those who are actually diagnosed. We must also be mindful that 
there are a lot of people who do not even report to be included in the statistics because again they have not been diagnosed with it right so i'm going off the theory that we know someone around us is dealing with something so you should know that mental health training is like pivotal at this time you know and i feel that that's part of like with police reform they should start requiring more of officers because here we learned that it's optional like out of the officers who killed them only two of them had crisis intervention training that's ridiculous <sighs> mm-hmm. oh my God. I, that's something that i'm sure we as a population <laughs> to argue should be enforced yeah for mm-hmm. sure crisis intervention for sure. It's very clear that these police officers don't have proper training, whether yeah. the person has mm-hmm. a mental health issue or not, because they go to the gutter. They go to killing first, grabbing their weapons first in a lot mm-hmm. of these, um, in a lot of these instances. And that is supposed to be your last, <laughs> your resort. last resort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're supposed to Something go to. That I Exactly. Something that I acknowledge in the county that I live in, in Rockdale County. And Rockdale is a smaller county. I understand mm-hmm. that. However, like two years ago, 2018, this guy, he held his wife hostage, right? And he had actually killed her, um, sadly, in front of their children. So it turned into a hostage situation and so forth, where they brought out SWAT, they de-escalated and he came out armed, armed and ready, okay, ready mm. to shoot. But what they did was they struck him down with beanbags. Mm. Even even though this man had a weapon, he was ready to go to war. They struck him down with beanbags and they took him to jail. He still was given that time to go through the legal process and be convicted that way versus someone choosing to execute him because he had a weapon because my theory with that when you receive a call and you learn that someone has a weapon you know up front they're armed so to say well i killed them because they're armed to me it's unaccusable you. you knew they had a weapon it it doesn't make any sense it's the essence of why we scream black lives matter because lives in these situations matter. our lives are not being respected in that same and this man killed a woman held her hostage held his children hostage had a weapon and was able to live another day was given that opportunity as Mm -hmm. put forth with the justice system as black people we are not given Mm -hmm. that same opportunity which is why we scream black lives matter that's Mm -hmm. the sole purpose for us arguing this is to to let people know that you may say you understand and that oh yeah you know we support you but that's not the treatment that we're getting. And when people, you know, talk about defunding the, the police, you know, the training, it comes back to the training, right? We, the police budgets are some of the, the most funded budgets. You don't ever see the police fund get cut. Never. Kids, kids are, billions. Kids are going to school without the proper tools. Um, you know, people are not able to eat. Mm-hmm. They're not getting the proper health care, but the police are good. You mean to tell me that all this money that's mm-hmm. being fueled and pumped into their organizations, they still somehow don't have proper training? They still are, are not given the hours and the necessary tools and information to be able to handle situations exactly. equally. And even then, you know, because there's racism. Go ahead. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Did you all know there's something that I did paying attention to with mm-hmm. the riots and the protests? Have you all noticed that <laughs> all of the officers are ready? They have their tactical gear. Yeah. They have their hand on the on they the holster. Here, guys. Yes, yes, but it's like so you have funding for that, but Thank this you. pandemic that we're going through, we didn't even have funding to ensure that everyone had got a test. People um, started making cloth masks because they couldn't get it fast enough for the civilians. Oh, so we hey, had funding for this though. <laughs> and let me just say, we weren't even able to get tests. People, you know, sick as exactly. hell can't go to the hospital, can't go to testing centers and get a damn test. You got to be on your deathbed. But like you said, the police, they have all this gear on and these, you know, photos on the news and throughout all these rides, they have this tear gas. Souped they have, up. Souped up. You know what I'm saying? So that. And then you have the National Guard out there. So they're being paid because now they're, you know, on duty, essentially. On duty, yeah. You know, like, I know in Georgia alone, we were upset because the governor, at first, he started to deploy like 500 people out here, 500 National Guards. Then it went to 1,500. Then an article came out, oh, I'm sending out 3,000 more. Like, oh, we have money for this. <laughs> but in this pandemic, our people are dying Thank you. without thought. First we of all, can't I- get them the resources that are needed, but we can fund the police. And the military. And everyone knows that the military military. has the biggest budget of them all, you know. Oh, yes. (laughs) So, you know. um, Oh, yes. I mean, it's important that we have a military. Don't get me wrong. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many levels to this issue. There are so many Mm -hmm. systematic things, breakdowns that occur that contribute to not only Black lives not being taken seriously, but just in general, like civilian lives. What yes, we need as exactly. civilians mm-hmm. is not is not a priority. You know what I'm saying? Everything else is a exactly. priority. Keeping the rich rich is a priority. But what we need mm-hmm. as basic civilians to get ahead to get ahead in our lives and in society, we don't get. You know, and that's a that's a different conversation. Exactly. You know, we go, but we we yeah. read because <laughs> it's a lot of stuff going on. You know, we're breaking mm-hmm. this down into two different episodes because there are so many different ways to hit it you know um yeah but 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 you tapped into something just think about it though just to bring it all in together we have those disparities in our healthcare system and our education system they're continuing to fund the police why would our mental health not be impacted exactly oof there we go that's a quote (laughs) We're going to pull that out. But yeah, it is very true. It's very true. Why would it not be impacted? We're we're being deprived in so many ways. I mean, of course, police brutality, systemic racism. Okay, no health care, lack of education, lack of resources, you know, lack of places within our community. Like the list is exhaustive. So that's why I said earlier that the protests, the rioting, the looting, I personally feel that it was inevitable. It's like a it was symptom. only a matter of time. It's a symptom it of a the larger of issue. Mm-hmm. It's a symptom. Exactly. exactly. Um, to tie it all together, I know you've encountered, you know, many people who dealt with uh, burdens and personal issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, we kind of already touched on how important mental health is and, you know, how it's kind of ignored. 
in our community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are some main exercises or things that you think that people can adopt personally to help support their own uh, mental health without professional help? Because just like we're talking about, a lot of people don't even have the mm -hmm. funds to really um, seek out mental professional help, you know? And that's a travesty mm -hmm. in itself. You actually tackled something when we first started this episode, when you said just being able to have that conversation. I'll just put it out there. Commonly, when you go to therapy and you're paying a therapist for services, we use what's called CBT therapy. And that's basically cognitive behavioral therapy. And the idea behind it is that when you're able to change your thinking, your actions will too change as well, you know, so it's kind of like it goes hand in hand. So in other words, a simple way to put it is that if we're focusing on the negative, we're going to get what? Negativity. Right. Once you start to focus on the positive, we're going to get what? Positivity. But a lot of times the struggle is getting everything out so that we can move in the forward direction. So something that we can do as a whole is starting by having the conversation. That's what CBT is. You're talking to your therapist. You're letting them know, this is what I'm going through, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you don't have to do that with a paid professional. You can talk to someone who you can confide in, yep. whether it's your partner, whether it's your mother, your sister, your best friend, you know, your community member, your neighbor. Start by having that conversation. We have to learn how to be transparent because that's the only way we can help ourselves. No one can help you. Exactly. If they do not know what you're going through and that next person may be your resource, you know, yes. but you won't know unless you what, try to tap into them. So that's the first step. Start, start expressing how you feel. Shay will tell you, I vent, I am yes. a venter. Okay? So <laughs> if something is on my mind, I'm going to vent. And that is my way of expressing myself. And that's my way of not suppressing how I feel. Yep. And we need to get comfortable. And I know some may not feel like they can trust people with their secrets and so forth. Start journaling. That's, a, that's another action. We actually recommend that even in therapy. When I was hosting my group sessions, I would tell some of my clients, hey, write it out. If you don't want to say it to someone, that's fine. Write yeah. it out. At least you're getting it out versus just letting all these thoughts just flow. And a lot of times we wonder why we have the anxiety and the racing thoughts and the thought of ideas because it's so much going on in our mind, we're not releasing it. Mm -hmm. So that anxiety is what is further festering. So again, that's talking to someone. If you don't want to talk to someone, that's fine. Journal it. Yep. Okay. If you like music, music is actually therapy. A lot of people do not know that. Yeah. But I will say, <laughs> focus on positive music. Right. <laughs> right now, I hear people playing Exopoly. Like, that's not going to make you feel any better. <laughs> um, we need to focus on, you know, the things that's going to uplift us. What's that? What's that tune that's going to get you in that spirit where you feel like you're vibrating higher and you just feel better about yourself, you know? What's going to make you want to get up and dance? What's going to make you want to smile, you know? Yeah. That's therapy. Meditation. Yes. There's yeah. guided meditation practices. I do it all the time. Because sometimes I just can't focus enough just to sit there and meditate on my own. So I have to have something to walk me through it, you know? Doing breathing exercises, breathe in, breathe out is very effective. Actually, when you notice that you're in a state of panic, you're encouraged to breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. Because you know how that, that theory of fight or flight? 
Yes. That's what's going on. And once you focus on your breathing, you're now more calm and you're able to move forward. So those are like quick steps that we can just do on a regular basis. You know, that's not even, doesn't cost anything. You know, right. just focus on your breathing. Taking that time to yourself. We talk a lot about self-care, but self-care is literally more than having some wine and going to the spa. <laughs> self-care <laughs> is self-preservation. Thank you said mm-hmm. it earlier. It's yeah. self-preservation and realizing that what works for me, what I consider as self-care may not be what my counterpart thinks is self-care. And that is okay. You have right. to identify what is it that I need? What is it that I need? And then doing just that. That is self-care. So, for example, with me last week, when all of those stories was going on, and I'm like, you know what? I'm getting emotional. My form of self-care was putting down my cell phone and getting off social media for a while so that I wouldn't continue to make myself feel worse. Once I noticed that I started to distance from social media and those symptoms of the nauseousness and the migraines, it started to ease. I feel better now. Okay, cool. Um. That is like I'm uplifted, you know, that's self-preservation. So just realizing what it is, ask yourself, what is self-care to me? What does that look like? What serves me right now? And what may serve you today may not serve you tomorrow. And what you do, you adjust. Yep. Right. And and, and, and saying all are simple steps. Yeah, simple and and just in general, being more attuned to yourself, I think is... what people what people need um do you have mm-hmm. any like, books social media or blogs or anything that you would recommend um that promotes mental wellness mm-hmm. so there's this app that i actually love because it's free <laughs> it's <laughs> called what's up what's up it's a mental health app and on there it goes over what i was just you know explaining about cbp and it gives you positive quotes it can give you different coping strategies that you can actually use Um, So depending on whether you're anxious, you're depressed, a lot of times it goes hand in hand. It gives you tidbits on how to see yourself through it from a free way. Also, something that's really cool. um, (laughs) We love the free, (laughs) right? (laughs) Exactly. Um, I don't know if you all are aware. Taraji P. Henson, she has a foundation. Um, It's called the Boris L. Henson Foundation.org. They're actually offering free rounds of therapy right now to Black people. Okay. So you can, to sign up for it, you can text no stigma to 707070. The number is 707070. Also, there's a crisis helpline. Um, it's called the National Suicide Helpline, but I'll just tell you as a mental health professional, they provide crisis intervention over the phone for free, y'all. Okay, that number is one 800 so those are like three quick steps and then another one um if you just really like you know what I really need therapy there's right now because everything is being virtual betterhelp.com um they provide virtual therapy sessions so you can do like your zoom chats or whatever platform they may use to have the sessions but it's a lot cheaper than physically reporting. Like at most, you may pay $40. Um, okay. Whereas we know that going to an actual session, you may pay like 125 you know? So it's a lot cheaper mm-hmm. just for those who really can acknowledge that I need counseling right now, you know? 
Yes. So those are few just to get everyone started off. And then Shay and Bray, I can send you a lot more. <laughs> so you all can post it as well, you know. Yes, um, please, yes, please. So the people know what to tap into because there are services out there that are free, you know, yeah. that will not charge you and you can still have a peace of mind. And and that's definitely important for our followers um, yeah. because we, we mm-hmm. want to make sure that people are able to tap into those resources but not have to break their, their you know, their pockets. Especially during this time, mm-hmm. I think people are already trying to, um, they're putting things above other things, but like mental health really needs to be at the top of a lot of our list. So I, I love this, that there's like mm-hmm. free therapy and free assistance so that people don't have to choose between you know, making it through financially versus, you know, protecting their mental health. So I love that. Exactly. Yes. And I have two more that I forgot about. Um, Headspace. That's a good one. You know how I mentioned during meditation? Headspace mm-hmm. actually has like those relaxing sounds and the guided meditation practices. So Headspace, that's another free app. And then mm-hmm. there is um, Mood Path. I like that one too. I actually had referred a couple of my clients to that so with the mood path it's essentially like a journal if you will but it gives you tips on how to make it through the day so for example if you're depressed or you're anxious it'll ask you create an overview of how you're feeling right now what are your thoughts what are your emotions and that is a good way for people to start tracking their mental health if you will yeah Mm -hmm. So thank you for, you know, letting us know about all of those resources. We will definitely have that information in our episode notes for the ladies. Um, And our final question is, you know, do you think it's up to our generation to demand change? Like, is it up to us to change the narrative, not only in relation to white people and our standing in society at large, but also just amongst each other as a Black community? Yes. And the reason why I say that is we have to think about it. A lot of the policymakers, the lawmakers, they're old. Like a lot of them are old white people, right? Yeah. Eventually, they're not going to be here. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. So who's going to be up next? It's, I mean, it's us. So if we start right. now with learning how to implement leadership, how to incorporate our creativity, our ideas, into society once as time progresses we'll be in control we'll have more authority we'll have more say so and what's going on around us as long as we remain quiet it's going to continue to be how it is i mean because think about it a lot of these issues they have kids you know (laughs) and we see that a lot like think about president bush his father (laughs) was president a couple years Mm -hmm. later down line or whatever here he is now he's I mean that's kind of like what is that's been the trend you know just when we reflect back on the past a lot of them they be in office for years like I was doing things like with Joe Biden for example he had say so in politics back in the 90s and here right. it is 2020 this man is running for president so mm-hmm. I'm just saying that to say it's for us to set the stage now so that later we can be those politicians who are enforcing the change that we want to see yeah because yeah. it's one thing to come up with the ideas and to put it out there but if there is no one for us ensuring that they're executed mm-hmm. what's the point you know yes it, so yeah we are the, we we are the future literally 
We are. Make sure you ladies are voting. I just want to put that out there. This is how we take control. Yes, locally and, you know, federally. Exactly. And do yes. your research. It's yes. deeper than just a presidential candidate. Make mm. sure you are in tune with who you are putting into office within your community. Community. Mm-hmm. Yes. People miss out on those elections. The Their mm-hmm. local elections, I think that they're downplayed and they're not really talked about, but it matters just as much because the a big part of that change is the systematic part, right? So we have to start within our school mm-hmm. systems. There's a reason why we talk about the funding. There's a reason why, you know, there's underfunded schools and communities. Mm-hmm. We have to, we have to look at who we're electing to be, you know, the superintendents of the districts. Like those yes. things matter, you know, whether you have children or not, like it really does start with the policymakers and we, we're, we have mm-hmm. the right to choose our policymakers, but we, we do have to be intentional um, and pointed when we are researching and, and choosing these people and then actually going out and actually voting, voting <laughs> for them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which a lot of us, we don't, we don't take, you know, that's a right that we fought for. And I think we don't mm-hmm. take advantage of just how much power we do have in regard, mm-hmm. you know, regarding mm-hmm. that. So. For sure. I found a helpful, I found like a helpful pointer that like breaks certain things down okay. so that people know. Because you know, the question a lot of times is like, well, how does my vote, how is it going to help with policing and what's going on in our society? You know, those mm-hmm. questions like, okay, mm-hmm. whatever. So here it is. Understanding what each role is. So a mayor, <laughs> for example, right. when it's time to go and vote for your mayor, because as we know, a lot of mayors right now are under fire because of everything yeah. that's going on. Mm-hmm. And we have to be mindful of what their role is. Like, they are responsible for appointing the chief of police in the city mm-hmm. to manage Thank law enforcement. Okay? Mm-hmm. The senators and the representatives, because we actually have, like, the, you know, the Senate here for Georgia, for example. I saw a lot of them on the polls when I went and voted on the 9th. And I saw people tweeting like, oh, I don't even know who these people are. Uh, that's a problem, okay? Because you went and wrote it and you just picked something and you don't even know who you put into the office. That's a problem. Thank you. The senators and the representatives, they create federal laws and they have the power to reform the criminal justice system through legislation. The district attorneys, oh my goodness, that's a big one. They are considered to be the top law enforcement officials because they decide when an arrest leads to a charge. So mm. be mindful, like all of these officers being brought up in the court or they're getting arrested and they're getting bail and then they go through trial and we're wondering like, why are they not being prosecuted? Think about it, the district attorney. Okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Federal Bureau of Prisons, we can vote with that as well. That is an agency that works within the Department of Justice. So they're responsible for administration of the federal prison system which currently includes 117 prisons, six regional offices, two staff training centers, and 22 community correction offices. Oh, what's that? Wow. <laughs> okay. Educational. Then have, mm. <laughs> yes. Then we have the state legislator. Okay, so that person is responsible for policies that define what constitutes crime, the procedures for responding to crime, Sentencing structures, which is very important. I actually did a thesis on this one as well about the disparities um, of racial as well as gender. That's a whole other topic of this as well. Because, oh, like, yeah. ladies, <laughs> we're all double minorities right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just put it out there. And then the funding. 
funding of government agencies. We were just talking about that. Our state legislators, they are in charge of the funding. So all of these people, like we were wondering, like why are the police officers being heavily funded? <laughs> legislators, okay, go there. And then lastly, <laughs> the sheriff. Be mindful that those little elections you see around your community where they're holding up those signs, go vote for so-and-so and so-and-so as the sheriff, that's important because the mm -hmm. sheriff, they're responsible for overseeing the county and they ensure that the law is enforced. Mm -hmm. Because believe it or not, police officers have laws too, y'all. Yep. They have laws. They all have the handbooks. They have laws. But if the people who they report to aren't enforcing it, then what do you do? Because one thing that I learned, well, I've been new, so I wanted to do this like in my past life, but you know, times change. <laughs> I was doing internal affairs investigations because that's what you do. Like you hold that department accountable for what they did. So it's like yeah. an in-house accountability structure type of thing. But think about it. If you're not, if our shares for our people who are in place, if they don't care about the law, like if they're not really for ensuring that our community is protected and served like literally protected and served they're not going to care about ensuring that justice is served on behalf of their counterparts yeah. you know they have that that brotherhood and that sisterhood so we have to be mindful like are we putting people in place who are ethical who are moral a lot of them have prior you know former experience go do your research i literally went and did a research on each candidate that i saw and what they our, um, what the exactly, what they voted what have they done <laughs> you can find that you can find <laughs> that information yeah how have they yes. lead in the past what issues have they voted mm -hmm. for which issues have they voted against you can find all of that information and you know what we'll include mm -hmm. a couple of links for that as well um yeah. but all of this is very important um and and i keep yes. saying this like i think that what the, what happened was you know very unfortunate with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and mm -hmm. Ahmaud Arbery. Um, you know, it was just mm -hmm. back to back to back. It's been very unfortunate. And now, you know, Rashard Brooks. But mm -hmm. all of these things, they definitely have not died in vain because I feel like it took this to get people really focused on, Balling. yeah, focus on the issues that are occurring within our community and our society, you know, and so now that mm -hmm. we have a spotlight on this stuff, it's up to us to take advantage of this point in history, of this point in time, do our research, act, make, make a change, like, if we let them down, if we let ourselves down, not just them, ourselves down, so, how will we feel you know this is the moment this is the time to really get this shit turned around you know and I don't know I curse because I'm very passionate about it you know it's like exactly there's no other yeah. way to say it it's time to do the work it's, um mm -hmm. you're speaking yeah. truth girl exactly the, the protests exactly. are just I'm for it. <laughs> exactly and now it's time for change I am for it Exactly. Thank you so much, yes. Charlie, for coming on. This has been an no amazing conversation. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, she, I knew you would bring it. <laughs> you literally brought together the essence of what we desire these reflection episodes to be. Like, this was healing in itself. Oh. It really was. Um, yeah. Ladies, we will have Charlie's information in our episode notes as well. Um, again, thank you for coming on we thank you, you know for having me absolutely ladies be on the lookout for our next episode we will be talking to you guys soon